Okay, so we are going through the chronological life of Jesus, the chronological life of Jesus, uh, using Luke as our primary source for the chronology, and then looking at the other Gospels as, as to, to fill in the pieces. So we are presently in, in Jesus' first year of his ministry, uh, and and uh, uh, we we are in John, John chapter four, John chapter four. And verse 27, picking up from John chapter 4, verse 27. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak to her? So the woman left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not, do not, say, uh, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Okay, so remember last week Jesus was speaking with a woman who was a Samaritan, and, and uh, not, not only was she a Samaritan, so he, he probably shouldn't by, by Jewish practices be speaking to her, but also that she was a woman which culturally was strange. But Jesus broke the mold again and again, and he spoke to her, he shared with her, and that he had finished up with her, as we talked about last week in verse 26, he said, I who speak to you am he. When she said, when the Christ comes, he'll declare to us all things, he said, I who speak to you am he. He very clearly gave her the message that he was the Messiah. And so now it comes to a point where his disciples return and they see him speaking to a woman, and it says in verse 27, they were amazed because he was speaking with a woman. So not only was she a Samaritan, but they were amazed that she was a woman, but nobody said anything to her. And then the woman left her water pot and went back into the city. So remember, she's by this, this uh, uh, well of Sikar, which is, which is uh, um, just outside the city. It's this little suburb of, of, of the city of Shechem there. And she was carrying this water pot. She left it there. So remember, her, her, what she had said to Jesus is, you have nothing to draw with from this well. Now she has nothing to draw with because she left it there. I don't know, maybe she left it for him so he could, he could draw and have some water. But she was so excited, she went back to the city. And then his disciples come to him. And in, in verse 31, it, it, well, uh, before, before that, let me mention that the woman goes back into the city and she says to the men, <clears throat> come, See a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? So they went out of the city and were coming to him. So they were going out of the city to Jesus. It's interesting she told the men. Now very often the men were in charge of the city and they would often sit in the city gate. That may be the men that she had told about this. Or it may be that that she was a a woman of, of... Certainly we know from the things that Jesus had said to her. He said, you've had five husbands and the man that you're now with is not your husband. And there wasn't any condemnation for that. It was just a matter of fact. 
And so maybe she was just more familiar with men than she was with women. And she told them, and they started coming from the city. And in fact, it says later on that many of them believed because of her testimony. And so when Jesus had pointed out to her many things that were going on in her life, she believed Him to be the Messiah. She goes back and she says this with amazement, and they start coming as well. In the meantime... His disciples, it says in verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, not, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus makes it clear. He says, I'm not hungry anymore. Remember, he had sent them into the city to get food. He says, I'm not even hungry anymore. You will find that if you serve the Lord, sometimes you can get so occupied with this, you forget to eat and it doesn't matter anymore. When you start turning your life away from yourself and turning it toward others, something happens in your life. There is a change. When you learn to give out, you become full. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, my food... My sustenance, the thing that sustains me, the thing that keeps me going, is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish His work. Your satisfaction in life, we are seeing this pattern again and again, your satisfaction in life will occur based on what you are willing to give out. If you say, you know, I deserve this house, I deserve this job, I deserve this salary, and I deserve this position, and I deserve this spouse, and, and I deserve all of this, you will be greatly dismayed in life and you will be heartbroken in life and you will never feel satisfied. But if your life is giving out, doing something outside of yourself, doing something beyond yourself, you will get filled. You will get filled. It is in giving that you receive. Jesus said, my food, that which sustains me, is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish His work. He said, you guys say it's four months to the harvest. So he's taking the physical and he brings it back to the spiritual. He's saying, I am telling you, it is the fields are white for harvest. There are so many people that need to be saved. So many people that need to be saved. To the extent that you will step out and give your life for another, you will be filled. And he will take care of your career as well. He will do that. He will take care of the things that you want so badly. And in fact, for example, in finding a spouse, so often it's in ministry, in ministering, that you will find your spouse. You will meet your spouse in the church. You will meet your spouse when you're out on mission trips. You will meet your spouse when you're, you, you are in, in campus Christian groups. It is in that setting. And then all of a sudden, you're finding people who are like-minded. I often tell young ladies this, that, that when I first started really getting drawn to Shireen, was, was, uh, I was living in a discipleship house with, with nine other Christian guys. It was in the summertime. 
and, and uh, it was in college and in the summertime, and, and her family had brought food to the church uh, because we used to have once, once a month we would have this covered dish meal and different families would bring food. It was a much smaller church than this church. And uh, her family thought that we were having this covered dish deal, meal, but it was actually the fifth Sunday of the month. And so, you know, that was just an open month. And so they had all this food. So we guys in the house, you know, we would fend for ourselves in the summertime. So we saw all this food. We said, you can come over our house if you like. Because we were right by campus, by, by where the church was. And so they came over our house. And my job that summer in the house was to do the dishes. So whenever we had meals together, the dishes would just be brought in. And my job would be to do the dishes. So I went into the kitchen to do the dishes after lunch. Her dad was out there talking with the the students, and I went in, and she was in there doing the dishes. And I said to her, oh, you can go. It's my job to do the dishes. And she said, oh, I like to do dishes. <laughs> my heart, it, it was like Popeye, where it pounding out, out of my chest. Have you guys ever experienced this, where your heart just starts pounding because you see somebody that is really attractive? Is, is, is it, am, am I the only person that, has this ever happened to you? Has this happened? That, was it with Becca that that happened to you, Joe? Yeah. So, so you see, and 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 this can happen. And and I was amazed, and that she said she enjoyed doing dishes. So I let her all these years do all the dishes she wants to do. I want her to enjoy her life. <laughs> so. You know, I started drying the dishes as she was doing them, and we just started talking. And, and it was from that day, you know, that I started to look at her now very differently. It is in service that people will see you. As you serve, people will see you, and they will see that you are different. And they will be drawn to that. People who serve are looking for other people that walk in service. If you serve, God brings great things in your life. She could well have just sat out there and you know, visited with the other students that were out there and just let the dishes be the dishes. She was a guest in this home. No, but she went beyond herself. Jesus said, my will is to do, my food is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish His work. And then look what He says, what happens. He says in verse 36, Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal. So what is the fruit that He's gathering? As He's sharing, other people are coming into the kingdom. He is getting fruit for life eternal. But it says, he who reaps is receiving wages. In other words, he who is going out and bringing others in is receiving wages. And he distinguishes the wages from the fruit that's coming into eternal life. So there's people coming into the kingdom that are receiving eternal life. But in in addition to the fruit, he's also receiving wages. Well, what are the wages? What is God paying him to do this? There's no money in this service, but there's something much richer than that. He says, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Look at what this is. The wages come and there is rejoicing. Do you want happiness in life? Who here doesn't want happiness in life? Who wants misery? Who wants pain? Alright, so, I assume everyone here wants happiness in life. If you want happiness, look at what God says. God says, you sow, you reap, you do these things for the kingdom, and you will rejoice. He who sows, he who reaps, will rejoice together. So some people sow. 
In other words, you put something into, into other people's lives. A lot of times you will share with somebody, and uh, once in a while, the first instant you share, they just come into the kingdom of God. Know that you are not the first person to share with them. Many people have sown into their life, and in that instance, you are the reaper. You are bringing them in. You are the reaper. There are, there's so much sowing that goes done. Most of what we do is sowing. Sowing into people's lives. There are evangelists who are very good at reaping. But they are not the first to share generally in these people's lives. People have been sharing with them. They bring them to, to a Billy Graham meeting. And then Billy Graham just, you know, is very good at reaping. But he who sows and he who reaps rejoice together. Sometimes people are, get all bummed out because they feel like they're sowing in lots of people's lives and they're just not seeing, other peop- seeing them come in. You are a sower. That is fine. There are times of sowing. There are times of reaping. And God often gives gifts, particular gifts, on one particular side of that versus another. Uh, 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 Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade, that guy was a reaper like nobody else. You could get in the elevator, they said, with Bill Bright. And I've, I've seen Bill Bright at meetings before he passed away. But he, they said he could go in an elevator, he'd meet somebody in the elevator, before it reached a stop, that person is on their knees accepting the Lord. That man had an amazing gift. Billy Graham, amazing gift for drawing people in. These are reapers. But there is a lot of sowing that goes on. But look what it says. Both the sower and the reaper are going to rejoice together. That is the wages. That's the wages that we get. There are blessings in heaven that await us. But here on earth, do you want to have a life of rejoicing? It is in giving out to another. It is in giving out. You know, I'll give you the example again of my wife. She is always, she wakes up in the morning and has lists of things that she wants to do for other people. You know, uh, she, like yesterday, she was at the football game of some kid who's like seven years old. And she just goes to his football game and roots him and his brother on. She goes to this football game, usually carries a banner with their name on it and just shouting for them. And then she'll find out before the football game what kind of treat do they like, and she will bring that to them for after the game. I mean, what, doesn't this woman have her own children? Yes, yeah, she has her own children. She has plenty of college students that she has to give out to. What's she doing with this seven-year-old? That's just the way she is. And my wife has never, never have I sought there, seen her crying that, well, when am I going to get mine? You know, when's somebody going to do something for me? When you give out, this is, you, you just reap so much joy. You reap happiness. This is what God promises. This is the secret to a fulfilled life. So many people seek a fulfilled life. If I could just make it on, uh, on uh, you know, one of these TV shows, like, like uh, these singers, you know, American Idol or something, then I'd be happy. No, you won't be happy. There is nothing that will fulfill you like sowing into the kingdom of God. In this particular case, the sowing is just sharing. Sharing your faith, sharing your life, giving to other people. When you pour out, you receive. The other amazing thing about it is, for those who pour out even of their assets to bless others, they never lack. The scriptures talk about this. When you give of the things you have, if you're cheap with your money, and you want this all for yourself, and you say, well, you know, it's, it's for, for me and my family. You know, I'm a good father. I, it's just for me and my family. You will see, then it's just you and your family. You will never reap 
largely. God will take care of your money. God will take care of your food. God will take care of your home. When you give out, you will receive much back. I have seen this pattern again and again. I do not deserve to be in the academic position that I am in. You know, I, I should be, you, you know, a low-level something at some very small college, like maybe a community college. That's, that, that's intellectually where I deserve to be. God has opened doors. God does this in people's lives. When you learn to give, you rejoice. The sower and the reaper rejoice together. Jesus was so filled, he was so pumped after ministering to this Samaritan woman that they brought the food. She said, I'm not even hungry anymore. Remember, it says at the beginning of this, he sat by the well because he was weary. You know, they'd been walking a long way. It's a long way from Jerusalem to Samaria. And it's hot. He sat by the well and he was weary. And all of a sudden, he shares with this woman. It's, It's only like three or four minutes of sharing. You know, all the text here doesn't take very long to get through if you look at the conversation. Because a lot of the text that's written here is the author is trying to explain the situation. But here he's just living the situation. It doesn't take long. Five minutes maybe? And Jesus is so pumped, he doesn't even need any food anymore. You will be fulfilled if you learn to give out. And to the extent that you give out, you will be fulfilled. To the extent that it's all about me, and it's all about my life and ministry to me. Everybody should be putting into me, and I need to be a church, in a church where I'm getting fed. I need to be in a campus group where I'm being fed. You will never feel full. Never. Never. You'll always feel like people aren't doing enough for you. And your spouse isn't going to do enough for you, and your kids aren't going to appreciate you enough. That's your life, and your boss certainly isn't going to appreciate you. But if your life is giving out, you will feel you, you don't even worry about appreciation for yourself. It's, it's a non-issue, because God is fulfilling you. Your fulfillment is in the Lord. Okay, so let's look in verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed... This is John chapter 4, verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all things that I have done. So, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Okay, so the woman goes back into the city, the people come out, many of them believed just by her testimony, so what she's doing, she's sowing and she's reaping. And then others come and they, they say, wow, you know, we believe because of your testimony, but now we've seen the guy ourselves. I mean, now our faith is really deepened. And so this woman, on the day that she is saved, she is sowing, and she is reaping, and she is receiving wages, and seeing life come into the eternal kingdom on the day that she is saved. 
So anybody who wants to restrict a new believer from witnessing, thinking you're not ready, that's wrong. I mean, sometimes new believers are the best witnesses for Christ. Because all they know are unbelievers. As we're going to see from, from Matthew the tax gatherer, he has a little birthday party for himself on the day that he gets saved. And who does he invite? All his friends. Sinners and tax gatherers, which meant prostitutes and tax gatherers. That's, those were his friends. Very often when you first get saved, your community are friends that, that you've had from the world. And, and it, it's, it's easiest to bring them in. Just let them go. They don't understand all the theological things. That will mess them up anyway. Just let them go. Let them share what God has done in their lives. They'll be okay. God will take care of the details. God will take care of it. They don't have to explain all these complex things. It's just a life changed can be a difference. This is a woman who has had five husbands living with a man who is not her husband in a small town in the Middle East. Everybody knew the character of this woman. So when she comes back and starts talking about the Messiah and saying, He knew everything about me. She didn't know much, but she says, I've seen the Messiah. She starts speaking to her community of people and they see a life radically changed and they are drawn. What is going to cause men to, to come from this town over to this well? It's because they saw a life radically changed. They came and they start believing and they say to Jesus, could you hang out with us for two days? He says, okay, I'll hang out with you. Two days he spent there. Here was a man on a mission, but he could divert his mission for the cause of witnessing. And remember, this was a people group that Jews had very little to deal with. Remember, they could only deal with Samaritans. They could only deal with them if they were going to have... They, they, they had to be able to pay them for their service. They could never be indebted to Samaritans. But Jesus broke this mold because this was not a commandment of God. This was their traditions. And Jesus said, the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. And so he stays with the very people group that the Jews were told not to have any dealings with. This is a testimony also to his disciples. That he was different. It was okay for him. And this is why you will find believers all over the world reaching out and going into places and going into cities. And, and, and if people say, oh, Christians have never done anything for the world, that is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You go through India. All the hospitals were started by, by Christians. The outreach, people going. People going and sacrificing their lives. And going into places. Believers have done this. We have a rich heritage of people that have given their lives, their time, their money to go into other places and to share the gospel. To bring the good news and the message of Jesus. And this is what Jesus does. He's teaching his disciples. He said, okay, let's go on a little mission trip. You got this mission weekend? Go on it. These are great things to go on. To bring you beyond yourself. Yeah, I know you got to study and you got a lot of work. That will never end. To go on a mission trip for a weekend is a good thing. When you have a short break or something, to go on these things and to learn to give out beyond yourself, this will build treasures into your life. It really will. And there will be wages that you will receive. Wages of joy. And you might meet somebody who's like-minded on this trip too. That often happens on mission trips. This is a good place to meet them. Alright, so then he goes into Galilee, it says in verse 45. 
so th- let, me, let me read three portions now from the other Gospels before we pick it up in verse 46 that talk about his going in, into Galilee. And, and you can turn there if you like. If not, I'll just read it. This is from Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. Now after that, John was delivered up. Uh, now after that, John was delivered up. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. Okay, so Mark is noting the same time. This is, remember, the chronological life of Jesus. So Mark makes note of it that Jesus goes into Galilee. So at the same time that Mark is, that John is taken in, into prison by, by Herod Antipas, because he had come against Herod, because Herod had married his brother, his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, uh, while Philip was still alive. We talked about this last week. Now at this time, Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he's going up into Samaria. And Mark makes an interesting point about this. That he says that he went into the Galilee and he was preaching the gospel of God. And he hears the gospel saying, this is Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe in the gospel. So this is the official offer. Jesus is coming now into Samaria, through Samaria, into Galilee, and he's making the official offer of the Messianic kingdom to the children of Israel. This is the official offer. You say, well, what gospel is he preaching? All gospels are the same. No, gospel means good news, but their gospel is different than our gospel. Because the gospel that we are to now believe in, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, it's, it's that we are to believe, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, that we are to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we are, we are given to believe in today. And, and Paul made this clear in the epistle. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I also preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the words that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the Gospel message that He brought to us. And Paul says, this is the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The most important fundamental thing of our faith today is that we must believe that Jesus died he was buried and He rose again from the dead. And that's why in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says that we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead and we shall be saved. We must believe that He's risen from the dead. This is the gospel that we are to believe in today. This was not their gospel. Jesus had not yet died and been buried and been raised. I mean, how could you say that believe in this? It hadn't yet happened. Their gospel was different. He was, it says that they, he came and he told them to repent. In other words, turn your way. Here's the offer of the kingdom. It is now fulfilled. The thing that you all, all, always long for. The messianic kingdom has come. That is the gospel that was preached to them prior to the death of Jesus. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus. What has happened since then is we take hold of what of the truth of, of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Now, I remind you, if you grew up in a Christian home, you just kind of grew up into this thing, and you've been a Christian your whole life, let me remind you 
that this is the truth of the gospel that you must believe in. Paul says, without, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, he says in verse 2, in, in verse 2, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So in other words, there is a way of believing that's vain, that's vanity. And that is saying you're a Christian, but not believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very often I will, I will meet with just businessmen that I'm, I'm talking with, or colleagues, and they'll tell me they're Christian, and I'll ask them, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And they hum and haw, and they stumble over this thing, and they're not sure about it. And I'm saying, let me remind you of the most important thing of what it means to be a Christian. That you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. That I take them back to this verse, and I remind them of this. Remind them of this over and over again. That it's very easy to become lethargic in your faith. And he reminds them, as he says, don't believe in vain. It's the death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why when we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, this is my body which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That we remember His body which has been given for us. This is my blood which has been shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my death. Remember my resurrection. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, he, he said, you do this. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do it until the Lord comes. That it's a proclamation. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You're proclaiming that indeed He died and He's coming again. This is the proclamation. This is why we have to remember this. We remember this Word. This is what He comes at us with. We must remember the Word. This is the Gospel for us. For them, the Word was different. It was the, the Messianic Kingdom where it was being offered. We will get to a point in His life where we will see a rescinding of that offer of the Messianic Kingdom. That offer to them of the Messianic Kingdom will be rescinded. And we will get to that in, in, in many months. But we, we will see that. At this point, He's offering to them the Messianic Kingdom. If you look in, in Matthew chapter 4... Verse 17, he talks about the same occurrence. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time began Jesus to preach and to say, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, again, a mention of the same thing. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And fame went out concerning him through all the regions round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So what we learn from this portion about this very occurrence of Jesus going into Galilee is that it was Spirit-controlled. It says that He went out in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So it was Spirit-controlled. It says that fame went about. So it spread everywhere into the region. People were hearing about Him. And the third thing it tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, is that He primarily taught in the synagogues. Jesus taught in the synagogues. You know, it's interesting. Did you know in the Old Testament there is never a reference to the synagogue? Never. Not, a, not one. Synagogue, the synagogue was a human construct. But it was not a bad thing, and Jesus used it all the time. They were to gather in Jerusalem. Having these local synagogues at these other places was never anything that was prescribed. However, it wasn't a necessarily a bad thing, so Jesus used it. And Jesus taught in the synagogues. Never was the commandment. You can look all through the, the, the law of Moses, all through the prophets, try to find synagogue. You won't find it. 
You won't find it. They were to do their gathering in Jerusalem. And this is why when people say, well, you know, uh, in the Bible you won't, you won't see church buildings. All right. You won't see synagogues either. But Jesus used synagogues. So a church building isn't necessarily bad. You see what I mean? Those who are real novices in their faith will, will, will pull these things sometimes. You know, There's no such thing as a steeple in the Bible. You, know? you don't have to have that. Yeah, you don't have to have it. But it's not necessarily bad. It doesn't make people evil. You see what I mean? So just get off this kick that we're so, we know so much that we can start pulling these things down. You know, there's nothing about cars in the Bible either. To use cars too. It's not a bad thing to use a car to get to church. I mean, they, they walked to the synagogue. It's not necessarily bad to use a car. If Jesus were, you know, walking around today, he would probably come to church in a car. Or a bus. Or, or, or maybe a Prius he would use, right? <laughs> he'd be, uh, I don't know, Prius is an ugly car. But I, I, I don't know that he'd do that. Oh, sorry about that, Mike. No, no, Prius is a good car. <laughs> All right, yeah, Mark, Mike's telling me, stop right there. But anyway, these are not necessarily bad. You can use these things. And Jesus preached primarily in the synagogue. This is what he did. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word which calls us to go beyond ourselves. Father, I pray that you take these young people and you cause them to step out beyond themselves. That just as Jesus diverted His agenda for two days to minister to these people. That just as Jesus took this time when He was most hungry and weary and used it to share the things about the glory of God. Father, I pray that You take these young people and give them lives where they would be giving out of themselves. Father, where they would learn to give out of themselves and so have a fulfilled Christian life. And so receive the wages of being able to rejoice. Father, I pray that they would be so poured out. Father, take their lives and let them remember Your Word. Remember the Word of God. That there are wages to be had of a rejoicing life. And that comes by giving of their own lives. Father, do this in their young lives, I pray. So that it may set a pattern for the rest of their lives, for their homes, for how they're going to raise their families, that they would have lives poured out for You, for the glory of God. Father, may they never lose sight of the resurrection, lest they believe in vain that Jesus came, He died, He was buried, and He rose again. May they never lose sight of that, lest they have believed in vain. Father, take, take hold of their lives, I pray. Have mercy on them. In the name of Jesus, amen.